Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Man, it's so good to be here with you guys. Um, love Matt and Kelly. You guys are so blessed. I, th- I think you know that, to have them in your community, and I'm jealous for you, you know, and really great to meet uh, Pastor Donnie and, of course, Moses and your, your wife I don't, this morning. Um, you have to excuse my voice. It's never like this. I blame it on the send. Secondly, I blame it on the fact that I ate Taco Bell after the send, and uh, grilled stuff, beef burritos, this is what they do to your voice, and... Uh, but I can't tell too many people that I had Taco Bell because they'll revoke my Latino privilege. They'll pull my license right away, you know. And so greetings on behalf of my wife, Jenny. We've been married almost, we've been married almost 16 years now. We have four little children who are home. My wife would otherwise be here, but she sends her love. And so it's a real honor and privilege for me to be here to sow into um, the early journey of your community as you're, you've been gathering six months as a people now. And I just pray that what I would, be, and the manner in which I would be able to serve you today would, would, would bless the foundation that God is establishing here. So feel free to turn me up because I won't be able to raise my voice this morning. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, and we welcome you here in an increased way. We love you. Amen. Well, at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to check out um, my book that I just released recently called New Identity, 30 Days of Prayer for Spiritual Transformation. And uh, I might touch on that later, but you can get that at the back of of the gathering this morning. Um, How many of you know the topic of identity is a buzzword in in this time of human history? And in, in our society, it doesn't take one to be prophetic to understand that there's incredible confusion surrounding the topic of identity in our generation. There's a cultural lie in society today that says identity is that which we choose um, based on our desires, our feelings, and the lusts of the flesh. And yet, from a kingdom perspective, because of the gospel, identity is not something we choose. Rather, identity is that which we receive from heaven. The first identity passage in all of scripture, Genesis 126, it's not on the screen. God said, and let us make humanity in our image and after our likeness. There's an identity that God has invited, a thumbprint of God that he's put on every human heart. And that's that we are made to bear his image and to bear his glory. This morning, you might just be a couple hundred pounds sitting in a blue chair here in Orlando, Florida. But I'm telling you that God's thumbprint is on your face. He has ordained that you would express who he is, his nature, his glory in a unique and tangible way. Say amen. Amen. This morning, I want to speak about uh, the concept of spiritual identity. I want to say that kind of in our generation, there's kind of uh, a culture in the church that causes us to shake our fist at the confusion and the immorality of our generation. When in fact, I'm convinced that we actually lack prophetic authority to speak into society on this topic in part because we ourselves have operated in depth of confusion with respect to identity. In the same way that society has 
believed the lie of Satan that identity is something that we choose rather than something we receive from God by grace. So the church in North America is all too often guilty of defining, receiving a sense of self-definition, worth, and significance based on what we do rather than what God has done through Christ. Perhaps the confusion and the brokenness in society today is a mere reflection of the heart of the church in North America. And what if returning to the prophetic authority that God's, God's called us to on the topic of identity involves returning to that place where we say, God, align us to your ways, align us to your kingdom. Help us to receive a sense of self-definition, worth, and significance foremost from who we are in Christ rather than that which we do for God in Christ. In my own story with God, I have known this to be true, that <clears throat> prophetic words cannot shout louder than the voice of pain and internal brokenness and in woundedness. In my own journey, God has saw fit to marry both kind of encounter with him with real discipleship that's produced transformation in my life. And at the center of my journey of transformation has been this storyline of identity. Before we open the word this morning, a little bit about opening my own life to you today. <clears throat> I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I grew up um, in the heart of Salinas, California, um, in, on the 10 block radius where there were more homicides per capita than anywhere else in the United States. I was raised by a single mom and I grew up with three sisters, the dog, the cat, and the bird. They were all female, you know? And so I've gone through a lot of deliverance and inner healing, you know? I grew up with all ladies, you know? And that's my culture. Um, and I thank God for it. By the way, if you're a single mom here today, just know that I am with you, God is for you, and I'm praying for God's highest and best in your life. And I am a glorious product of what God can do through the obedience of a single mom. Yay! <clears throat> I didn't grow up in the church. We were twice a year Catholics. Wave your hand at me if you know what that is. We were twice a year Catholics. My mom, though, started in, uh, encountering um, something in the middle of the night, she started actually receiving these demonic visitations in the middle of the night. They scared her so bad, she started taking us to church. Don't you love that? The evil one always overplays his hand, you know? He thinks he's gonna bind this woman in fear, and yet she got so afraid, she started taking us to hear the gospel. And she drug us to church to a place called the Vineyard Christian Fellowship of Salinas, California, during a time in the Vineyard Movement where the Holy Spirit was blowing through these churches in a powerful way. And so we went from twice-year Catholics to city standing in hour-long worship services where my mom, you know, if little Latina mama looks at you and says, you will stand. You're going to stand. You're not going to do anything else but stand still, you know. We try and sit down. She said, she looked at us, she, you know, two, three little fingers, two little fingers, just get up, 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 up. And we'd stand right up. People were falling down, laughing, dancing in the aisles, trembling, and I'm like, what is this? I look at my sister's mom joined a cult, you know? My mom was single mom. My dad left my family when I was about three years old. He never once paid child support. As a result, we grew up in poverty. We grew up in deep brokenness. In fact, even at a young age, in the first grade, I was exposed to uh, sexual abuse. I would have never been put in that situation had my dad not forsook his post as father in our home. How many of you know when a parent 
abdicates their authority, the enemy loves to rush in like a flood. And I say that in the same breath, I say, single moms, do not worry, do not fear, but commit your family to God. And you just might be raising a little Adam Narciso, you know. I hope that would be a blessing to you. <laughs> I tell my mom that, no. <clears throat> I was uh, radically saved as my mom came to me one morning um, before playing a homecoming football game. And she said, uh, I, 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 you can't play in the game tonight. Something bad is gonna happen. God, sh I just think something bad's gonna happen. I saw it in a dream. I said, mom, you're crazy. Keep your dreams to yourself. This is the biggest game of the year. So I went and played in the game. What I didn't know, she went, picked up the phone, called all her best friends from church, and she said, will you pray with me? God came to me in a dream last night and called me to pray that I would live, that Adam would live and not die. I'm like, mom, you didn't tell me that part, you know? I am sending a play onto the field in the third quarter of the game, and I collapse on the field. I begin vomiting, and I begin having seizures. My body's shaking uncontrollably on the field. I black out. The last thing I remember, of course, were sirens. I was rushed to the hospital where I underwent three and a half hours of emergency brain surgery because of a blood clot on my brain that I sustained during the football game. I should be dead today, but the mercy of God and my mother's intercession, I stand before you here today. My mom, when I was seizing on the, on the field, she came down on the field, fell to her knees, and she began to cry out to God to pray the prayer that the Father gave her that I would live and not die. She drugged down other parents with her. It didn't matter if they were Muslim, if they were Hindu, if they were Buddhist, if they were Catholic. When a little Latina mama pulls you down to the ground and says, pray for my son that you would live and not die, you're gonna pray that he would live and not die, you know? And she says, we're gonna have a prayer meeting. It didn't matter if they were uh, Presbyterian or Baptist. They're, ba they're about to pray in some tongues, you know? They're gonna get the anointing to make stuff up. Shabba, dabba, dabba. You know, they're gonna... And they began to pray, and I'm convinced that I'm here because of God's mercy and my mother's intercession. I woke up from a hospital, <clears throat> in the hospital, from, an, from a coma a day and a half later, and there was a man standing over me weeping who smelled like liquor. I'd not seen this man in four years, and it was my father. He was escorted out of the hospital by the police because of an altercation that he initiated in the room. I was, I was moved upstairs a couple days later. The next, the first person in my hospital room that was a non-family member was a youth pastor. And it was like dual fathers that, that God was speaking to me through. And he was wooing me with the heart of the father. For the next couple weeks after I went home, my mother made my bed in the living room. She'd come to my bedside. She'd open the scripture. She'd sit down at the end of my bed and she began to read the word of God out loud. There I am in my most broken state. I was told I would never play sports again the rest of my life. Two of my best friends, we did everything together. Two of them were sent away to California Youth Authority, youth prison for 13 months that same month. Everything that was important to me as a young teenager was stripped from me in one week's time. And how many of you know when God begins to shake nations or even human beings, all of a sudden they, they begin to come to the desire of all nations. They see him in his beauty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As my mom began to open the word of God to me, she began to read the scripture. The presence of God would fill the room. And Holy Spirit, as, his, as the Father's words were read, was making Jesus known to me. And I began to weep in his presence every day for two weeks. 
God, the Holy Spirit, was witnessing to me in these encounters every day. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the resurrection, repentance, and faith in Christ. I just knew God is real, and I think he loves me. Two months later, I went to that youth group led by the man who visited me in the hospital, and I heard the way of salvation, and I yielded my heart to Christ, and my life has never been the same. I will say this, though. I was ignited as an evangelist early on, preaching the gospel in my high school campus, gathering hundreds of students. By the time we left high school, we'd seen hundreds of young people come to the Lord on our public high school campus. We'd gathered 300 young people every week to preach Christ in our gymnasium, in our classrooms, and on the fields of our campus. And yet, in spite of all this Christian activity, leading mission trips around the world, even as a young person, I, I was carrying around this internal brokenness, this reality of fatherlessness, this identity of fatherlessness that had marked my life. Again, uh, no Bible study can shout louder than the pain of, of a heart that's not yet been defined by God. And that was my Christian story. The unfortunate reality about the church is that the church is a volunteer mechanism. It's, it's the community in which you begin to discover your gifts. And you don't have to be mature to have any type of Holy Spirit gifts. Wave your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about. And undiscerning pastors will at times let young people who are reaching for a sense of significance, a sense of sonship, daughtership, a sense of importance... Too early, step into a place of prominence and service. And all the while, under the radar of church leadership, we are leveraging our own gifts and our own talent to receive a sense of self-significance and importance and worth that can only be found in the goodness of God, through the mercy of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our Christian ambition, we step onto the hamster wheel of striving and performance, seeking to earn a place of validation only come through the pleasure of God. And that we perpetuate brokenness in Christian cultures that actually leave people uh, with a destination of offense and church split. Because when you live by the praise of man, you will begin to die when man criticizes you or rejects you or even corrects you. And if you're in a healthy church for any period of time, you will be criticized. You will be corrected because the, the word of God is living and active. The word of God is useful for doctrine for reproof, exposing our error, for correction, aligning us to righteousness. And so anytime in Christian community, you will feel the sharp edge of God's word cutting you one way or the other. And if you've not yet received a sense of self-definition from God, you are destined for a place of offense and for withdrawal from community. In my own journey, it was this message of identity, God awakening me to the truth of who I was in Christ that really began a journey of transformation in my own Christian experience. I'm gonna unpack a scripture here in a minute, but I just feel compelled to kind of continue to share story. Um, years ago, a year of revival in my own personal life, I was at a conference in San Jose, California, and I went forward for prayer, didn't matter who was preaching although there was a great preacher that preached. I was just so hungry for God. The reason I went forward was that morning I got in an argument with my mom. And, you know, we're Latinos, so the argument, we fight when the windows are open, the doors are open, the whole neighborhood can hear. We don't care, you know. And um, my mom says, what's really the matter? Why are you so angry with me, Adam? And in a moment of honesty, I said, you never say you're proud of me. And I began to weep. 
I was embarrassed because I'm crying. I was embarrassed because I spoke the truth. My mom began crying because I'm crying. And then like most dysfunctional families, the moment of tears, we went to our separate bedrooms and we never spoke it again. But it was the voice of a young man who did not know that he was a son of God. The voice of a young man who was defined by his own brokenness rather than defined by Christ. So I went forward that same evening to an altar call. You know, I, I got saved in a Presbyterian church, even though my mom was saved in a vineyard church. So I was like the frozen chosen, you know, like we hardly clap in worship, you know. And my mom's church is there dancing and singing and crying and we're over here. And so here I am, my first experience at this charismatic conference. This man prayed for me from, all I remember is he's from England, had a British accent. And he read my name tag, Adam. And then he says this, the Lord, your father is proud of you. And I'm like, (sighs) (laughs) but then in that holy moment, I have this, this moment of conflict where I thought maybe he just got one for one. You know, maybe he just made that up, you know. Have you ever had a holy moment and you, have, you had an intellectual conflict? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he says this, Adam, don't, doesn't matter what your mother says about you. Your father is proud of you. And I'm like, <sighs> <sighs> internally I was like, maybe he just got two for two. <laughs> uh, so I was conflicted uh, all of a sudden. People start falling down my left and right. And I'm like, am I supposed to fall down? Am I supposed to fall down? You know, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? You're like, the dude's not pushing me, but I've been pushed before. I push back when people push me. I'm like, I'm a thug. I will shank you. So, you know, <laughs> and so I'm like, maybe it's just two for two. And then the dude says this. He said, Adam, even though your, hev- your earthly father was absent your whole life, your heavenly father has been pursuing you every day. Now I'm like, ah. And I started having the glory move. You know what I'm talking about? We were, we were doing this. Have you ever seen Christians do this at the altar? You know what they're doing? They're thinking about, should I go down or should I stay up? Should I go down? <laughs> That's what they're thinking about. You know what? You know why? Because you're thinking, if I go down, will they keep prophesying? Because I want to hear what God's saying. So I'm going to stay up, you know? And so there I am. Should I go down? Should I stay up? All the while I'm thinking about, should I go down? Should I stay up? I'm still conflicted. Maybe he just got three for three. Then he says this, Adam... The Lord, your father, was with you on sports day. Now I'm like, (gasps) you know, they come over, they bring that purple blanket and they throw it on you. I'm like, what is this? (laughs) They're like, what is this? Am I supposed to take a nap in the Holy Spirit right now? You know, so, you know, modesty blankets, you know, the homeschool kids, they made them, they sewed them together. They brought them to the conference. (laughs) So there I am just laying, this British man says, just saturate in the love of God. I'm like, what does it mean? What does that even mean? Saturate. I laid there and I had my first vision ever. I saw myself as a young boy holding the right hand of Jesus. And I knew him to be my father. And that encounter began to bind up my own brokenness as as a fatherless son. And I lay there under that image for the next 45 minutes and I wept and I cried and I wept and I laughed as God was binding up my brokenness. That encounter, I'm convinced this in the church today, we need to learn how to marry encounter with discipleship. 
especially in charismatic Christianity. There's no anointing or the laying on of hands that can, that can actually impart a journey of discipleship. Encounter is designed to be a catalyst in your discipleship journey, not replace your discipleship journey. What happened, that encounter, that vision, that moment of seeing something of God began to, to, to touch me with a hunger and a thirst to meet God here. And the word of God is a place of encounter. And all of a sudden, scriptures became alive to me that were dull. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love that the fathers lavished on me that I would be called a child of God. Romans 8. For we have not received the spirit of slavery that makes us again a slave to fear, but we've received the spirit of sonship. And Adam's spirit's crying out, Abba, Daddy. John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them he became, he gave the right to become children of God. The word of God became alive to me through this encounter. This, this, God began to release grace to my life. And I began to find myself in the scripture. Now, when it came to Matthew 3, I'm not, it's not even on the screen. When the baptisms... Uh, Waters, Jesus came out of them. The heavens were open. The voice of the Father proclaims, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I began to hear the Father say that about me. Today, I'm here. My kids are the first generation in three generations where their parents are married. Where their dad is not going to leave their family in abandonment. The first generation and three generations where there's no poverty. The first generation and three generations where there's no sexual abuse in the home and no addiction in the home. When you receive a sense of self-definition from God, everything changes. And a legacy of righteousness begins to be passed down from generation to generation. Man, this was my introduction. I've taken way too long. The identity's truth that God placed on my heart to share with you all, even this morning, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And this was a scripture that God began to use and marked me with the sense of identity. It's on the screen there. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Theologians begin to speak about Christ imputed righteousness. This idea that not only has God forgiven us or cleansed us, but he's actually imparted to us the right standing that Jesus has because of his own sinless perfection and his death, burial, and resurrection. This idea that we are not merely forgiven, but we stand in a complete set of new clothes. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Zechariah chapter 3 is an is a Old Testament passage that illuminates for us this, this truth of Christ's righteousness. Let's put that scripture up. The Lord showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed 
in filthy garments. Let's leave it there. In standing before the angel of the Lord. It's the picture of all humanity, not just Israel, but all humanity who stand before a holy and righteous God who is without blemish, who is without sin, who is without spot or wrinkle in pure goodness and in pure holiness. All humanity stands before God dressed in their own poor behavior. Dressed in their murder, dressed in their addiction, dressed in their pain, dressed in their abuse, dressed in our wars and our divisions and our factions. We have the privilege of reading this passage through the lens of what Jesus has done. Let's keep going. The Lord answered and spoke to those who stood before him. And saying, take away the filthy garments from him. This is justification. This act of God which declares humanity just cleansed, forgiven through Jesus Christ. And yet the goodness of the gospel doesn't stand there, stop there. It's not just a matter of erasing our sin. Let's look what happens. And he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. The church is full of Christians today who believe they're forgiven, but don't understand that they've been clothed with rich clothes. He says, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a turban on his head and they put clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. This this is a picture, an Old Testament picture that speaks a New Testament truth that in Christ, not only have we been forgiven, but we've been, we've received the righteousness of Jesus. And we now stand before the father, not account on account of our own piety, behavior, devotion, or excellence, but on account of the goodness of God in Christ. This identity truth has to shape the way we think and the way we live and how we position ourselves in Christian community. Too many Christians enter into Christian community serving way too fast, leveraging their gifts to earn a sense of self-definition. And what we need to be wise, especially in an early community like this, in the early days, is to let people heal. Orlando, I'm telling you, you all all know you're in the Bible Belt, right? That means you're going to see a lot of Christians come into this community from other churches who are going to come with, with areas of baggage that they've drugged from church to church. Maybe you're one of those Christians. Amen. We're all one of those Christians. And God wants to place them like a brand plucked from the fire in this community. Take away, taking away their filthy garments, clothing them with Christ, teaching them the ways of God so that they can enter into Christian service from a place of purity and a place of connection with nothing to prove because they've already received the affirmation from the Father. I love the Old Testament because we can continue to look at the Old Testament through the great lens of Jesus. And one of the most dysfunctional families is is actually the patriarch family of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think your family's dysfunctional? Read the book of Genesis. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Isaac on his deathbed, he's blind. 
He's laying on his bed and he says to his older son Esau, one of the twins, go out and hunt for me and cook my best meal. I'm gonna bless you. Here's how dysfunctional this family is. The mom, Rebecca, she's listening in and she goes over to her favorite son. She had a favorite son. She had twins. She loved one more than the other. We can identify with this kind of brokenness. She says, Jacob, your dad, I got a plan. He takes and kills one of the fattened calves. She prepares her, her husband's favorite meal. And she says, but you're going to go into the room, brother. And you're going to receive your brother's blessing from the father. Jacob's like, how am I going to do that? He's going to discern my voice. He's going to feel my skin. He says, I got that smooth Polynesian skin. He said, Isa, my brother is a hairy Puerto Rican. You know, <laughs> I apologize to your Puerto Rican. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> and she says, I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. You're going to put your brother's clothes on and then we're going to take the skins of an animal, put it on your neck and your hands so that when, when your father feels you, it'll feel like Esau. The Bible, this family is jacked up. But secondly, how hairy was Esau <laughs> that your boy Jacob can come up in there Wearing a goat's skin, he's like, yep, yeah, it's, it's Esau, dad. Isaac's like, it sounds like Jacob, though. Isaac's like, oh, it's, it's Esau, you know. <laughs> it's Esau. He comes in, he feels, his, feels his, his, his hands and his neck, and he goes, well, the voice sounds like Jacob, but the back of your neck and your hand feels like Esau. And I'm like, whole. <laughs> Isaac begins to proclaim. <clears throat> Isaac begins to proclaim the blessing that belonged to the elder brother on the younger brother. And it was a wild family scandal. And yet, as we read this through the picture of Jesus, we recognize that the family scandal was a scandal of grace. And it's a picture of the gospel that we all with the church come into our father's bedroom, into the throne room of God, dressed not in our own piety, in our own righteousness, in our own behavior, but we are dressed in our elder brother's clothes, the very garments of Jesus Christ. And we stand before the father as he extends Jesus's blessing that we now inherit as our own. And it's not a scandal. You belong there because of what Jesus has done. Friend, you are righteous. You are not defined by your latest sin, your most distinguished brokenness, your darkest secret, or your least holy behavior. You are defined by what God has done through Jesus Christ. One of the reasons this truth that we are Christ's righteousness is so vital to community life is that when we do not believe that we're righteous, we, leave, we live in hiddenness and in secrecy. And we continue to perpetuate religious cultures that are fake, that are void of the life of the Spirit because they're just a bunch of people bearing the name of Jesus pretending to behave. 
Christian community has to be built around the identity point of Christ's imputed righteousness. Because it's only when we're confident that we've been made right with God that we begin to let down our defense mechanisms. And we begin to make ourselves known as we really are. And only then do we experience authentic community. I've got news for you here in the Bible Belt in a major city like Orlando. You, as you know, as a local church, you can't compete with the budget of a mega church. Say amen. In other words, your greatest asset as a local church to multiply, one of your greatest assets, yes, is the presence of God. Yes, it's your worship. Yes, it's prayer. Yes, it's all those things. But really one of your greatest assets is if you can recover authentic community, you will, be, you will become like a feature that's largely not represented in mega church Christian culture in the Bible Belt. And all of a sudden, you begin to attract people who have been broken by the church machine, but who have come here and tasted something authentic. Where believers don't live in secrecy and in hiddenness, but instead they tell on themselves even when they've engaged in an area of darkness because they're not afraid of the rejection of man because they know they've been accepted by God. Community becomes a safe place when men and women have been received definition from God. Until we, re- until we receive a sense of self-definition from God, we are not safe because we're competing against one another. And too many Christian cultures are built around competition. The gospel invites us not to perform, but to receive. Is this good? Would you stand together? I want to make sure I end on time. Team, could you come up? Or so- <clears throat> Father, I bless this house, my friends. I thank you for this community that you have brought together for your own purpose and your own glory and the ways that you have set them apart for you. For your pleasure, I bless them. Lord, for my friends in this room, I believe there are some in this room who need to receive in a depth of their hearts that they are the righteousness of God. And if you're here and you're tired of the Christian hamster wheel of performance and the patterns of secrecy and darkness and hiddenness, and you want to come out of your corner of loneliness or isolation in the kingdom and you want to begin to experience authentic what is real in in community life I want to pray for you just put your hand in the air if that's you thank you thank you thank you awesome saw some hands shoot up hands suspended now father for it the hands raised I pray right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation the knowledge of you that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of their calling, what are the riches of your inheritance in them, the righteousness of God. Friend, you are righteous. You are not merely forgiven or justified. You have received the clothes of Jesus Christ and you stand before him secure, spotless, lacking nothing. You are loved by God. 
you are righteous. Today I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If there be any way that you have received definition from your past and your failures, from the things that are in secret, I pray for breakthrough in your life in this season. I pray that today there would be encounter that would provoke a discipleship journey in your life in this community that would transform you, that would establish you as the man, as the woman of God that you are. You are righteous. For those here who need God's correction, God's reproof, God's repentance, if you're here and you're like, man, I do. I really need to repent. I need to let go of control. I need to turn my heart to God in a fresh way and receive my righteousness. If that's you, shoot your hand in the air. Awesome. Awesome. Lord, for the hands raised right now, release the grace of repentance. The grace to turn to you in a wholehearted way, knowing that you have declared them righteous from the beginning. So repentance is a gift they gladly embrace with joy. And they treasure in a holy way. I bless them today. I bless them today. I bless this house. That this would be a community. That would receive a sense of self-definition from the Father. And would build authentic community. Around the word of God. A group of believers. Who have heard from God in the scripture. About who, they say, who, who you say they are. This would be a safe place for many broken ones to gather, be healed, and be equipped as sons and daughters of God, as priests of God, as light in the darkness. I bless this place in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May you receive today the grace of God to carry the truth that you are righteous in Him. I bless you today. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.